Welcome to episode 118 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hatfield, and today I get to sit down with the amazing Reese Edwards. Now, Reese has just come off uh, a great win at Ultra Trail 100K, uh, and, and just a few weeks previous to that, he raced the Melbourne Marathon in an astonishing 2.14 and came in in third place. And just a few weeks before that, he raced Sydney Marathon in a, uh, a warm-up run, so to speak, of 2.17. So an extremely tight schedule racing, and he's just absolutely smashed it out of the park. Reese is about to line up for the Ultra Trail Kosciuszko 100-miler. So his first crack at a miler race in a couple of weeks' time down in uh, the Snowy Mountains. So we get to chat to him about his uh, progress to that, that kind of distance and his transition across from... You know, a really elite marathon runner in terms of Australian marathon running uh, into the trail world. And, yeah, we certainly uh, welcome him across to the dirt. And Reese is an interesting story. He came to the, the sport quite late and, and got the opportunity to train under the great Dick Telford for uh, quite a few years down in Canberra. So some, some great lessons to be learned from, from that early teaching. And uh, he certainly transferred it across to some incredible... Uh, their performances in the subsequent years. So uh, before we get started, I'd like to thank our podcast partners, Runala, Raid Light, Fractel, Gomi Allied Health, Basecamp Altitude, Pure Energy, Canola Beer Co, Running Matters Coaching and Coded Nutrition. Okay, we'll get Reese on the line. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the show, Reese Edwards. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, not, not at all. I'm really interested to find out the story behind Reese Edwards. Mate, you just come off a uh, serious string of races, um, which we'll chat about in some more detail. But, uh, yeah, how, how is the body? Yeah, the body's recovering pretty well. Um, Muscle-wise muscle and soreness, I'm actually really good. Um, I suffered like just that general fatigue that you kind of get if you race or do long races too often, um, so just low energy levels for a little bit. But the last kind of two weeks, I've turned a corner and I'm feeling normal. Yeah, okay, amazing. Uh, b- b- before we get into anything else, any any physiotherapy tips to, to keep you in such amazing nick for those three races? <laughs> um, it might not seem like it, but I, I do kind of live by a bit of a load management kind of uh, ruling. So I actually only do like one hard session midweek on a Wednesday and then I go pretty big on a on a weekend. So I actually do a lot of really, really easy stuff um, to keep myself healthy. And I, I instead of doubling, I do a lot of single runs just so I make sure I get um, sleep. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's interesting. And I guess how are you managing that intensity of, um, of running to keep it so cruisy? Um, so I, I do a lot of commute running. So um, on the way home from work, I just have my backpack on. When as soon as you got your backpack on and you finish work, your your legs are heavy, so you just you don't want to run fast. And you know it's kind of a bit of an adventure on the way home as well. So I just plot along. Um, if I run into people on the way home, I might just do a little bit with them as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but popping the backpack on is a good way to slow yourself down. Okay. And how much are we packing back there? We got laptops and shoes and all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, laptop every now and then. Uh, most of the time, it's just jackets. Um, I, uh, I I wear, fortunately being a physio, I can wear joggers to work. So I just have to buy these specific all black New Balance 1080 Vs, I think they are, that I just 
go. I just churn through them. So yeah, just wear the same shoe. That's unreal. So you're not kicking around the physio practice in the next percent or something like that. Absolutely not. I, I'd love to uh, try the invincibles, but they'd be too chunky to actually do it at the work on the work day. So yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be tripping over while you're uh, doing a manipulation there, mate. No good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'd like to take you back a few years to, I guess, introduce your, your uh, beginnings here running. I believe you played hockey as a youngster. Yeah, that's correct. I played hockey pretty uh, relatively competitive until the age of uh, 18 to 20, probably 20 years of age, I would say. I was mainly a hockey player. Um, and then I moved to Canberra to study physiotherapy. Uh, and it wasn't till kind of the last year of my degree or last 18 months of my degree. So I was, by this point, I'm in my mid-20s uh, that I found running. Okay. And I guess during your, your, your initial sort of years as a hockey player, did you have that base of fitness that is quite evident at the moment? Yeah. So I always, the positions I played, like I always played what was what's called an inner or like center half. So I always was in those mid kind of midfield positions just running all day and um yeah so i was always the, uh, most of the time i was the fittest on the team um yeah mm. and have you managed to uh pick up any of the standard hamstring and lower back issues that i see with a bunch of hockey players mate <laughs> now nah, fortunate enough i got out of it at a young enough age to avoid that as it's funny because I remember back in my day, it was kind of the boys that are in their 30s and beyond just they'll run along and next minute they pull up, they've been sniped in the hamstring. So, yeah. Just far too much bending on him, bending over in that game. It's, yeah. Uh, it's tough yeah. One. I'd love to go back, bud, but honestly, that's one of my fears. I'm like, guaranteed first game a hamstring will go. Mate, you know better than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mate, what about, the, I guess, the dominance of it being quite a, I guess, right-sided game? Have you developed any uh, imbalances in that respect as well? Um, pretty good, actually. I have was used a lot of back sticks, so like the tomahawk and stuff, I actually was more just as comfortable um, going when I was in the striking zone. I'd, you know, do a lot more back sticks almost than four stick type shots, so... Um, I'm same as something like cricket. I bowl left-handed but bat right-handed, so I'm kind of just mix it up. So one of those rare breeds that are using both sides of their brain, mate. Yeah, uh, no, I wouldn't say the brain, but the body maybe. <laughs> Got to come from somewhere, at least. Yeah. <laughs> what about in terms of, I guess, that early fitness? I've heard uh, talked about at the AOS that some of the fittest blokes kicking around there were the Kookaburra, uh, the men's hockey team. Up, up around some incredible numbers in terms of the beat test. Did you ever do any any testing early on? Yeah, so we do the beat test at, say, like I remember one uh, New South Wales kind of talent camp they used to call them. I think it was down in Bathurst or Tamworth. I can't remember exactly now. But it was under 14s and it was like, you know, the best players in New South Wales. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm pretty fit. And I want to say I went to about level 16, but I got absolutely schooled on that day by one Ryan Gregson, who <laughs> I, remember, I remember that day he, he went on, I want to say he went on well and truly into the 19s or more, and they, maybe high 18s, 19s, and we're talking under 14s here. Um, so that was a very humbling experience at a young age. Wow. In some pretty rare company there, though, early on, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and so I, I believe uh, after you've moved to Canberra, you've sort of jumped into the triathlon game initially, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. It was kind of, um, 
from that age of 20 when I was giving up hockey, uh, one night I was watching the Tour de France and I bought a bike. So I was like, oh, you know, do a bit of cross-training type thing because hockey was starting to peter out a bit. I just wanted to stay fit. So I kind of got into cycling a little bit. I had some crashes very early on within that first 12 months. And then, yeah, made that quick transition to be like, hey, like I'll have a go at triathlon. I grew up as a swimmer when I was really young. I was more, more swimming background. So, yeah, that when I went into the triathlon. So when I first moved to Canberra, I was predominantly, yeah, just a, doing triathlons. And I was doing a very average age group kind of level. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you're living in Canberra, you want to be kicking around on a bike, there wouldn't be a better place to be a cyclist. Yeah, I love the cycling around there. It was it was other than the winter time got a bit cold, but the actual rides around there, yeah, they were incredible. Yeah, unreal. Did you get the mountain bike out on Mount Stromlo, mate? I wish my partner when we were down there, she ended up buying a mountain bike and she was out there all the time. But um, I was a poor uni student at the time, so I had the one bike and one bike only. <laughs> and, and the bike handling skills weren't uh, top of the priority, right? Mate, they they were dreadful. I remember, yeah, like. My criterion uh, ratio of finishes to crashes is, isn't great. I'd spend a lot of time crashing. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision to move from cycling to running then. Yeah, exactly right. And that's kind of like the nice thing. I'm like, I can use my fitness in running. I don't have to worry about the crashing. But really, my passion and my interest. I, I love cycling. I think it's an incredible sport. If I just had won the bike handling skills and had the the guts to descend like they do, then I would have absolutely preferred to go down that route. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And, and I believe early on you were, you were going on some pretty epic rides which might play into your ability to to run really, really far. Um, what, what were some of those missions like? Yeah, so there's a, there's a gentleman who owns a bike shop up in Coffs Harbour who really is the one that got me into cycling, named Dan Alcock, and he used to we he used to be like, yep, let's get up three o'clock in the morning, three thirty in the morning, because he had young kids, he had four young girls that he had to get back to on say a Saturday morning, so he wanted to be home by twelve or one p.m. But he wanted to also ride 200, 250 kilometers, so we'd go out on these missions on a Saturday morning for eight to ten hours, um, just to, so he would get back to his family, um, and then we did one or two really reckless ones where you know we'd go oh let's you know hit a goal of 500 kilometers um so you just in one hit yeah Yeah. so i did i did that twice um at a very young age that was when that 18 to 20 years of age when wasn't really and ending the hockey but wasn't really sure what i was doing i was just into this this is pre-smartphones pre-anything and i just really got into going into dark places on a bike so um (laughs) Yeah, we just, yeah, riding 500Ks nonstop, stopping in at Macca's, bakeries, just drinking Coke. And I had a great time. <laughs> Mate, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, I guess, did, did you realise at the time that you had something pretty unique in terms of your ability to hurt? No, it never really, it hasn't, and for me, it's never really been an, a sign. I never really realised that, hey, maybe I am unusual. Um, I had one of my work colleagues today, he was literally saying to me today, he goes, hey, Reese, you know you're like, you're odd, like you're a bit strange, mate. you're a little bit loose, but it's like you're loose in a good way. Um, <laughs> so I think he kind of said to me he, today, he asked me, he said, if, if he said, if he asked me to go for a bike ride at 3am in the morning, would that excite me? And I was like, oh, absolutely. And he goes, yeah, that's not normal. 
So, um, not, yeah, but, uh, we're speaking yeah. to some abnormal people generally, you know, they're, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Hey, but I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm glad, it, I'm glad it came. And, uh, with, with the move to Canberra, you, uh, jumped in with some, some running loyalty and started training with Dick Telford quite early on. How old were you when you started with that group? So when I started with that group, I would have been about 25, 25 years. I would have just turned 25 when I started. Mm-hmm. So quite late on, um, yeah, I was three years into my physio degree, was really kind of just, you know, keeping a little bit fit. I think I just started getting a little bit interested in running. Mm-hmm. So I was running about 30Ks a week and one of my fellow college, um, what um, uni students, he was just like, hey, mate, um, do you want to come along to my run squad and it just happened to be Dick Telford's run squad, so that was a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, right. That's that's amazing. And like from thirty k's a week, we able to sort of jump into some of the runs and, and not completely die, or how did that work? Oh, and the the first eighteen months was really difficult. So they do a session. Dick does a notorious for a session's quarters. So you do eight times four hundred with two hundred float. And I remember the very first time I got lapped by the front guys exactly halfway through. So we only had run, you know, 2.4 kilometres and I was already being lapped. Mm-hmm. Um, so each week you're like, oh, just, it would be nice just to make one more rep before you get lapped. And if we did something like six by one kilometre, I'd have to sit out. I'd probably be able to do two, sit out one, and then do one, sit out one. So it probably took 12 months until I could actually, 12 to 18 months, so I could finish an entire session with the squad. Mm. Mate, that's some serious perseverance. You must have, uh, I guess, had a bit of passion for it. Otherwise, you would have just jumped straight off. You, you, you're pretty involved, pretty, pretty into it. Yeah, I just the I got the addiction quite quickly. And even though I was like well and truly the worst in the squad, I was just like, you know, I'd go away and do a, a 10K race, like fun run. And, you know, I'd, initially I maybe I could run 38, 39 minutes and all of a sudden I was running – 34 33 minutes and for me at the time this was like this is incredible i remember that my a park run my first park run in canberra ran 1830 and then uh, these guys they had me in a point where i was running low 16 minutes and i was like whoa like i could go sub 16 here and i just didn't care that these guys were so much better than me because i was just really enjoying my own improvement yeah mate, that's that's amazing now, i guess in terms of the early learning with uh with dick I've heard I've heard him talk about the way he measures intensity and and the difference between you know your threshold running versus your easy running. Can you explain to the listeners what what he tries to get you to think about in those terms? Yeah, so the thing with Dick is he's he just he's so smart, so intelligent, just knows it all. But the best thing is he puts everything in the layman's terms really well. So and which you know you have a lot of coaches who they read the latest books and magazines and. They just overcomplicate things and it's really difficult to comp- comprehend. But with Dick, he will say, so say if it's like a tempo, you know, a bit slower than 10K pace he wants you to go, he'll just say, hey, guys, I just I want you just puffing steadily. Mm-hmm. So he'll be like, you know, you probably, if you have to have to say a word, you could say a word, but I just want you puffing steadily. And then if he wanted us to run threshold, he'll just say, okay, what is on the knife's edge? So he, he's like, if you... If you go a second quicker, you know that you're going to fall on the other side of the knife and you're going to get kind of burnt or get cut. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how he's just distinguishing it with these kind of analogies in a way. Yeah, that's so good. And, and, and it applies to everyone, I guess, in their own individual way. So 
Yeah, yeah I think that's the thing. Instead of being like, oh, we we're going to run this pace or this time, it was all run to this feeling. Mm. And that's I still do that this day and age. All my training's off feeling. Yeah, okay. And, and you, you've got a pretty good gauge on, I guess, pace versus feeling, you, you know, when you're running 315s, for example. Yeah, three fifteen is probably the one pace I got absolutely dialed, and you just know if you. I know if I'm not pretty well, like I'd have a very, very good gauge on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's unreal. Uh, and I've also heard you talk about early days with Dick um, wanting you to be ten k fit all the time. So no matter what race you were sort of applying it to, he wanted you to be fit for a ten k race. Um, what, what's the, the rationale behind that? Do you think? Yeah, I think ten k is just that really good threshold level. So. It gets you fast enough uh, so you can, you know, top that up and go down to the 1500, but also gets you aerobically fit enough that it really doesn't take much to go run a half off that or even a marathon from that. You throw in a few longer sessions and before you know it, you're marathon fit. So I think the 10K stuff, it just builds a massive aerobic base that you can go either either way on. Mm. And you still apply that these days, even though we are starting to look at longer and longer races. Yeah, to a certain extent. My training has changed a bit since I left Canberra. I, I don't train quite to the same intensities as I did with Dick. I just can't now that I'm training solo. So, yeah, I'll probably pull that back. Instead of that threshold-type session, so back in the day I could run 5Ks every week in, week out at sub-15 for, for a 5K. Now if I did that, I'd probably be close to that 15, 20, 15, 30 so it's more what I would say is a tempo pace. So I've just dialed it back a little bit. Yeah, okay. And, and are you still getting assistance in terms of coaching or are you, you writing your own program? No, I've been writing my own program now for uh, since 2018. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, and uh, Dick saw you through to starting that, I guess, that marathon career then by the sounds of things. How, how were those early uh, couple of marathon efforts for you? Yeah, so Dick guided me through my, my very first one in Chicago. Um, which he, you know, I when I said, oh, hey, I was going to do a marathon, he was kind of like, oh, if you want. He, he didn't really, I don't think we thought much of it. And myself, my first goal was like, if I could get as close to 220, that would be amazing. And the training just, I he just, you know, loaded me up. I was running 220Ks a week and I was just enjoying the mileage. I was handling the mileage. Everything was just going really well. And I was in a three-month period and we went, from thinking I could run 220 to thinking, oh, you know, 216 would be fine. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being running a 216. So um, I just handled those big Ks. And since then, since Chicago, I then left Canberra and then I lived in London for a few years. So it was just hard to kind of – I'm not someone that does very well with that remote or online coaching. Mm-hmm. I need someone – if I'm going to have a coach, I need them there in person. So um, that's why I haven't done it – haven't been – personally coached by dick but i still use a lot of his um strategies for my training yeah of course and you couldn't find a better better teacher there in the first place are, are you pretty rigid in terms of the uh the programming that you set yourself week to week no so that's probably the thing that why i don't have a coach is i'm i literally just see how my body feels now i think i've become much better at doing that so mm-hmm. i don't have i don't work out on certain days i would just if i do a big so, for instance, this week I did a 50K on the Sunday. I was half thinking, hey, I'd love to be able to do two sessions, so Tuesday, Thursday this week. But I was running home on Tuesday. I was like, as my warm-up, and I, 
my session. I just felt flat. So I just pulled that back to the Wednesday. So um, I, as long as I get one session midweek in, then I'm happy, but I'm not rigid on what day it is. Yeah, okay. And, and what is the length of your commute run back from work to home? So it, it varies. I work at Etworth Hospital, so there is multiple sites. Um, most of them, three of them I can get away with, say, six kilometres. Um, but then some one of them is Brighton down on the bay and it's a 21-kilometre commute. But what I normally do is I normally extend them. So I'll end up doing laps of the tan or places around Melbourne and I'll extend my commutes. Normally, most days I'll extend it to 20 kilometres. Yeah, okay. It's a great way to do it. It's so time efficient. It's unreal. Yeah, that's it. I love it. So you're obviously a, you know, an impressive responder to volume. Um, you seem to also be an impressive responder to altitude training. I've seen a couple of photos of you uh, kicking around in Nepal at the Annapurna base camp there. Um, yeah, have you tested yourself in terms of pre and post altitude training in terms of bloods and uh, what have you? Yeah, so I've never never done the never done the blood testing, but altitude's always where I've got my big gains. So before Chicago, I was in Colorado for uh, ten weeks uh, at a mate's house, and that's when Dick was coaching me. So I think that contributed significantly from going from a two twenty goal to a two sixteen goal. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last year, before I went to Rotterdam, was the second time I went to altitude, and that's when I've gone out and run a two thirteen off that as well. So I mm-hmm. don't know what the bloods are, but I I feel like when I get to myself to altitude, I feel like I'm a pretty good responder. And it's yeah. where all my big gains have come. Unreal. And, and I guess uh, for, for the average punter, what, what does it feel like? You, you sort of feel invincible there or is it more subtle than that? Um, uh, is this when I've come down from altitude? Yeah. Uh, strangely enough, you just – you don't you don't feel that different. You just uh, – it's a strange one because you've also got the taper as well. So you don't you, – yeah, you just you feel like you're still hurting just as much, but your pace for me, my pace just feels a couple of seconds faster. Yeah, okay. But it doesn't feel faster; it, it is faster. Still um, hard, but just faster. It's, yeah, exactly right. It's just those same altitude. I was running a lot. I knew at Rotterdam, our goal pace was around that three hundred eight, three hundred nine per kilometer, and at Lavinio in altitude, we we're running a lot at three twelve, three fifteen pace. And then as soon as we went down to sea level, that sensation of 312, 315, Lavinio, that was all of a sudden 308, 309 in Rotterdam. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. That's that's great. Um, I, I want to take you past, I guess, those initial um, initial marathons. You've you somehow ended up running the Tarawera uh, 100, 102K, I guess it was, in 2019. Um, what, what brought you from, you know, big city marathons to Rotorua for a big trail run? So leading into Chicago when I was pretty fit in Colorado, one of the guys I was training with, one of these American boys, he paced his best mate to at Leadville 100. Okay. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, oh, I could, I'd love to have a crack at an ultra. I reckon I'd do all right. Mm. And he's like, mate, you're kidding yourself. And he, he gave me a bit of banter about it. And it was about two weeks before Chicago and I was in the best fitness of my lifetime and I entered Tarawira. Mm. So I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter it now because if I don't, I won't do it. Um, and oh, I, I was went in the deep end, but it paid off, fortunately enough. But th- that was kind of why I it was something I think it goes back to those cycling trips and things like that back in the past. And then I just got 
I had someone who kind of challenged me and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and look, for the listeners that don't know, you ended up winning the thing. So you had a pretty good start to your trail running career, that's for sure. Yeah, I, yeah it, was, it, was, it was very hard. It was a very hard day and uh, I, didn't, I didn't respect it enough, that's for sure. And mm. yeah, still learning. I guess in, in terms of that, like in terms of that respect, how, how did you organise your initial pacing? Did, did you go out hard or how did you work out how quick you were going to run? So at Tarawira, I was, you know, we're talking, I was late 20s. I was, I was still reckless back then, that's for sure. And I was, I didn't have a clue how to pace it. I was with Cody Reed to about, oh, there's a group of us with Cody, probably four of us actually at about 25 kilometers. And I was like, this is feeling pretty easy. And we're just going down a hill and I just started floating along at 325 pace. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just Cody and I and no one was, to be seen and I was like oh this feels comfortable and I just kept running like that and we're probably running yeah sub fours all the way to 45 kilometers and then we hit quite a technical part and Cody just got me through this technical part Mm -hmm. and then by the time I hit 65 70 kilometers I was just yeah mentally spent almost from the concentration on the technical part but then also the pacing was completely off nutrition I was just on red bulls and some gels so the pacing felt off, but I was just fortunate enough that Cody followed me early on. So his explosion was bigger than mine, but we were both going backwards at quite a rapid rate at that point. So there, there was no nothing to my pacing strategy other than, hey, I'd love to win it. I'm just going to run to feel. But I didn't know what feel should be for 100 kilometres, which I still don't. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the subsequent 100K in a sec, but I guess, yeah, what's the psychology like on the start line of a race like that? Are you sort of, you know, pretty confident that you're going to be up the front or are you a little bit, you know, anxious about the distance being further than you've ever run before? Um, I, I'm pretty confident that the first half is going to feel or should feel hopefully all right. And then I just, I don't really think about the second half. I know at some point it's going to hurt. I know at some point it's going to go, you know, it could go pear-shaped, but at the same time, deep down, I'm hoping that it doesn't. So <laughs> I, even though I know it's going to come, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't. So I don't really dwell too much on the second half or the parts where it's going to hurt. I'm kind of just honestly picturing, hey, we should go out here. It should feel comfortable. And I'm just going to enjoy as much as I can mm-hmm. um, until it gets hard. So I really just going out to enjoy this the beginning. Okay. So cautiously optimistic. I like that. That's not, yeah, yeah. Not a bad headspace. And um, I, I, I saw you wearing some road shoes, mate. Didn't decide to go out and buy a pair of trail runners. No, not for that one. I didn't. I didn't really. I wasn't at this point in time. I wasn't really investing in the whole trail running thing. So I, I just had the road shoes on. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and I had got told information, hey, like roaches will be fine on this course as long as it, there hadn't been much rain. So I was tracking now uh, that there hasn't been much rain. It should be dry. So um, I was that I was told that I should be fine in roaches. Nice. I'm actually heading over to do the 100 next February. So you got any tips for uh, a first-time Tarawera guy? Um, I would wear trail shoes this day and age just for that <laughs> That middle bit, um, I think trail shoes are probably, well, all shoes are probably advanced now. Like the trail shoes this day and age are probably faster than the road shoes that I wore back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and my tip would just be the first, I think it's to the first checkpoint, which is about 44, 45 kilometres. 
it's very runnable. It's very nice. And I wouldn't be afraid to to run that bit and go a little bit over the top because the middle bit is super tree rooty and it's actually difficult to run quick through there. So you're just automatically going to be slower from the kind of tree roots and things like that. And it's not super hilly. So I find everyone slows down, but it's not super draining. Mm-hmm. So um, it might sound crazy, but yeah, like I would utilize the, the roads at the beginning, first 40K, the trail fire roads to, yeah, run along there and then enjoy the technical part and then survive, I guess. I love it, mate. You're the first person that's ever uh, given me the green light to go out too hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, is, this is why I don't coach. <laughs> mate, I'm going to write that down. That was good. <laughs> uh, and, and so I guess, um, you know, COVID got in the way of a whole bunch of stuff, but you were over in, in, in Europe at the time, so obviously a little bit more racing going on for you during that period. Yeah, so I moved over to London about a month, two months before COVID hit with my partner. And we were over there kind of doing the whole working and travel type thing. And the goal was to to do a few yeah, European marathons and experience the running world. So um, fortunately enough, I did get more opportunities being over there than what, I, what people had been stuck in Australia. So mm-hmm. it, it didn't work out too bad, actually. So, yeah. yeah. And, and you managed to run yourself at two thirteen in twenty twenty one in Rotterdam. Um, was that was that off the back of a extended block of training without racing? Yeah, so that was the one difference over that two year period was because races were few and far between. I actually was ra- uh, racing off, uh, doing these marathons off no racing, so just training. Um, I had a my good mate was living about eight hundred meters away. Um, Callum Moody, he's a Kiwi runner. And we would just run with it, run with each other every single day. He was working in a slight a hospital, but it was nearby the hospital I was working at. And we just did all our sessions together, pretty much ran together. We just tapped out 160 k's every week, a a really big workout during the week, and then a really fast long run on the weekends. And we both just got really, really fit. Um, and Callan, he he ran one marathon, and he. he debuted in 2 off that training so um yeah we just got ourselves really fit like that it's interesting there seemed to be a ton of pbs going down around you know that return to racing after the block does, does that give you any sort of uh impetus to go back to that extended training routine and not race as much or i mean obviously not the last couple of months but just uh, <laughs> to, for the future yeah, like if, if say if I had Callum here with me in Melbourne, I would go back to that style for sure because the training we got in together was just so super paced well. We weren't competitive. Um, it just worked really well. But now that I'm training solo, I've just got to use races to almost get myself fit. So even though it looks like I'm going to over race, for instance, like doing Sydney to Melbourne Marathon, in a way Sydney was just my last big workout. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to – I hope that doesn't sound like – you know, rude or anything like that, doing a marathon as a workout, but just having no training partners, I just have to use races now as kind of those big workouts. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess chat about that. Was was that your, I guess, mindset and intention with Sydney? You, you went into it with that that idea? Yeah, so Sydney, I've, I've always, so when I first started getting into running, my very first half marathon was the Blackmore's Sydney half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ran 68 minutes and I still rate that as one of the most exciting moments of my whole running kind of career. So I always had a soft spot. I was like, I want to go back to Sydney and do Sydney marathon. And just everyone says that 
you know, the, the course is hilly and it's tough. But traditionally, it's not one in that quick of a time. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, if you can run a 212 there, you could be right up there and really competitive. So I knew I was in pr- pretty good shape, but all of a sudden, it's like a month out and news got around that, hey, they're bringing 203 guys into Sydney Marathon this year. And there's a there's a 206 or 207 group and then there's nothing. So as soon as, as, soon as that went down, Sydney just instantly went from, hey, I thought I could run a 213, 214 there to on a hard course to I'm just going to go there, still do it as a hard workout. And Tim Crosby, I contacted him and I was like, hey, mate, can I get a last-minute entry into Melbourne? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and so I guess you, you're pulling your Ks back you know, five seconds a K or something like that. Is that is that a comfortable run for you at 320s, for example? Yeah, it, it was kind of like just, yeah, pulling it back. It was relatively comfortable in a way. Like it, it still hurt um, later on. I still went out probably a little bit faster than I wanted to because I still, you know, naively like I still want it to be under 220 because it just looks better. So um, running up the hills initially early on, it was hard to kind of gauge and pace. But as soon as I got into Centennial Park, I just kind of pulled back and I was trying to just run my about 315s per kilometre, mm-hmm. um, which is what I, at the, my current fitness, that's kind of my tempo pace. So I might run that twice a week for 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of fed back into that training tempo pace um, for the rest of the run. Yeah, okay. And is it uh, easy enough to go deep into the back of a marathon with that mentality? Do you find it find it hard to, to go to the well at 35Ks, for example? Um, I'd say at Sydney, going to the well. Um, yeah, so like at Sydney, you're like, I'm not on for a PB. Yeah, I, I still – I was fortunate enough that I could see a couple of the Kenyan guys falling off. The Japanese fellow that was in the front pack, he was falling off. So there was just enough people to be like, oh, I can pick off a few here and I'm actually going to still get a pretty good place. Mm. So that's probably what got me through through kind of going a little bit deeper at the end. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine it would be easy to step off at 35 in such a situation. So he did well to uh, charge home. I think it was 217 in the end, pretty pretty sharp still. Yeah, yeah, it's 217. So I'm still very happy with it. Yeah, unreal. And what, what's your take on uh, their, their push for the world major status? Did, did you see um, some progress in, in that respect at the race? So having run Chicago and seen witness London, um, it's it's hard to see it. It's not it's not even on the scale, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't got the petition participation rate rates and the the end of the course. I think I finished seventh place or sixth place overall, and I was calling back to families just walking along the route, being like, "Hey, run it back!" And you're getting you're slowing down because you can't get around families on the course route. Um, yeah, so in, in that regard, it, it it's probably it, it still feels like it's a fair way off, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that I, one of the main things I need to look at is, I guess, um, yeah, corralling those different different races. They, yeah, I think so. If they could do it over two days, maybe, and it, it's an interesting one because the course is nice. I really like the course, like the narrow part of the course that everyone would have seen on TV and has kind of been the talking point of, hey, can't be a world major because of those points. I actually really thought that part of the course is really cool and it is a really nice part of the course. Um, so I guess the tough thing would be, do you go to for a boring, faster course that's on wide highways or do you keep it more unique like that? And, you know, Boston and New York, they 
they're on big roads, but they're hilly. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a flat and fast one, I don't think, mm. but it's probably just congestion. Maybe they, yeah, with the half marathon runners or the 10K runners that they may have to work on. I guess none of those other big city marathons have halves at the same time, do they? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Just make it a sole marathon. Mm. That would be the best way. And, and then it would just be nice to, uh, I think, as a, a biased Australian, it would be nice if there's some incentive for Australians to turn up. Mm-hmm. I yes. think, you know, you, you look at the American majors and uh, like all the Americans want to race them because it's, there's an incentive there. And even London, all the Brits running London because there's an incentive to run London. If you're the first Brit across the line in London, it's a, it's a big deal. Like Phil mm-hmm. Sessman that was has been first Brit maybe the last two times in London running 212. It's it's a massive deal and he's getting big sponsors and he's really making a career off of just doing that. Whereas Sydney, the the honest I don't want to bad mouth him or anything like that, but there's just no support for Australian runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I guess particularly if you are dragging across those two or three, two or four guys from from Africa, which I'm all for, but yeah, I think you're right. You you need to incentivize um, yeah the local runners for sure. Yeah, like I think wouldn't it be amazing if. You know, you had Brett Robertson there vying for the win. It's coming into the Opera House there, and it's a 208, 209 race, and he's right there about to win in front of a home crowd, and and it's a world major. Like, that would be incredible, and that's what would be amazing to see. So hopefully that's what they can work towards where, you know, we can have our top incentivize our very, very best Australian marathon runners, so not myself, you know, Brett Robson, Jack Rayner, Pat Tin, and all these boys, get them there, mm-hmm. throw some money at them if that's what it takes and get them to, to see what they can do against these Kenyans. Yeah, no, I totally agree. They've got to drag them up from Melbourne somehow. So uh, Yeah, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I'm pretty sure they were all ambassadors, but none of them were even there. Yeah, yeah. So, I spoke to Brett a couple of weeks before, and he was in he was in London at the time. And obviously, the scheduling didn't work. But I think yeah. I think next year they'll have a, a a more concerted crack at it because they've got more time. And I don't think they'll give them a great deal of leeway there. So um, I, I don't begrudge them that at this point, but they do need to work harder for sure. I, I think deep down, the the biggest thing is they have to move the date. If I that'd be my one big advice, I'd be like, and it sucks because Gold Coast is in July, but You've got the uh, European and the American races that are their autumn, spring. It has to be in our winter. Unfortunately, it would cost Gold Coast. But uh, first thing I would do would be instantly change the date to mid-year so it doesn't clash with the overseas races. And and the temperature as well. Surely that's going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sydney's winter has got to be pretty much ideal marathon running weather. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. September can be brutal. Um, and, and so you've, you've jumped, as I said, very quickly into uh, to Melbourne Marathon and come away with, with third place in 2014, which is unbelievable. Um, congratulations. Uh, Thanks. How, how are those few weeks in between times, mate? Did you just jump straight back on the horse or did you need some recovery post-Sydney? Uh, I think I was back doing a session on the Wednesday after Sydney. Oh, I, I pulled up pretty well from Sydney and then we went up to Bright in Victoria. So we went up there on the weekend in between. So I did the Bright Park run up there as one of my sessions. And then I actually jumped on the trails for the mm-hmm. weekend between Sydney and Melbourne Marathon. I jumped on the trails and was doing kind of, I think I might've done a couple of 30 kilometer trail runs with about 1500 meters elevation. So um, it slowed me down, stopped me from 
you know, pushing too many sessions before Melbourne mm. um, and just bringing in some, uh, I was getting some really good aerobic conditioning without kind of pounding more fast Ks. One of my favourite places in the world, right? To get up and yeah. down Feather Top and uh, Buffalo, mate. I did that last week. Uh, last weekend, I did that. But this before Melbourne Marathon, I it was a bit of snow up there, and I didn't really want to risk doing that. So I just stuck to Clear Spot and Mystic, the hills around Bright itself. Just, just those little ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, Feather Top was beautiful last weekend. Yeah, it's a great part of the world, mate. Unreal. So I guess for, for Melbourne, you, you look to go out with the lead pack. Uh, is, is there an anxiety about sort of chasing down some of those guys or did you feel comfortable? I, f- I felt comfortable to 20 kilometres and then it, and then and then they really hit the accelerator. So uh, I really wanted to just go with them no matter what, no matter what pace they were going. I just, I was, I've just moved to Melbourne. It's my hometown race. I've got nothing to lose. It doesn't matter if I run a PB, don't run a PB. If I blow up, I just I was going with them no matter what. Mm. And it was first five k. They went out really conservative over sixteen minutes for the first five k. And I I was like, yep, sweet, sold here. And then through ten k, no problem. Fifteen k, feeling good. Fifteen to twenty, still feeling really good as long as they kept that pace. And then we hit twenty kilometers. It was about 20 and a half and they saw the halfway time and they just started talking to each other and saying, hey, we're not going fast enough. We need to go faster if we're going to break 210. Mm-hmm. And we went from running 30, probably 306s per kilometre to I, I got dropped running in 259 from 20 to 21. <laughs> and, and I had to make the decision there and then of, do you just commit with these guys? Because I was feeling quite good. I was like, I could commit to say 25 at this, even if they're running 258, which is what they started doing. Mm. I was like, I probably can get to 25, but I'm almost guaranteed to not make the finish line if I do that. So you have to make this decision really, really quickly of like, I'm not feeling too bad, but this is definitely too fast. And even running that one 259, by the time you hit 28, 30 kilometers, I was paying the consequences for it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the second half I was quite solo and I was just going into survival mode. But the thing that kept me going was kind of like, Hey, I don't have to run a fast second half here because we've gone out in 6530. Even if I come home in a 69 and you're still running a 214, which on Melbourne marathon course, you know, I'll take that. Mm. Mate, it's the, the mythical banking time in the first half. Well played. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know every coach every, and everyone's sitting back going, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. But it's, it's my personality and I don't think you can change it. I, I love that you said initially that you've gone past your reckless days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's still in me, maybe. That's awesome. So, man, I, I, before we move on to some trail stuff, I just, I guess those, those times, you've run some really consistent sort of 213s, 214s. Are there any obvious pieces in the puzzle missing i suppose for you to be getting down to these you know brett robertson jack rayner around that 210 to 11 is it anything that stands out to you yeah i think it's a pretty obvious one is i got into the sport late and i don't have a fast five i'm not fast over the 5k 10 10 kilometers i've run 29 40 you know albert park in august here around 29 58 i'm only just breaking 30 minutes for 10 kilometers so it's not until my half marathon PB is all right, but I'm just I'm not I'm just not fast enough. It's it's as clear as that. My my ceiling's not as 
as high as theirs. So they've got a lot more to play with. And I, I think I could run. I mean, everyone likes to say what they think they could run, but I think my ceiling, I'm not far off it. I think my ceiling probably is 212 something maybe if I had the perfect day. And running, coming from like a physio and physiology background, is it's actually really hard to, it takes a long time to develop speed mm. and to and to develop those thresholds. So for me, the investment would have would take years and years and more years. And it isn't what I really want to do is running a two ten marathon or two eleven marathon. Is that gonna is that what I really want to do? And deep down I only got into the game at 25, 26 years of age. I never thought I'd run a two thirteen as it is. Mm. And I, I'm really happy with that. And so the, the the answer to your question is yes. I'm I know I'm not fast enough over the uh, the shorter stuff. Mm-hmm. No, mate, it's really candid and, and yeah, I'm, it's so impressive to be able to get close to that ceiling because I'm pretty sure most people don't go anywhere near it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice feeling knowing that it's and it's I, I you know I did my first marathon in 2018. It's four years later and I'm genuinely in a spot where if I never run faster, I I'm I'm not bothered anymore, which is why I'm happy to go do more trails now. Yeah, I guess yeah, good segue on to uh, what was it, about three weeks after Melbourne Marathon, you decided to run Ultra Trail hundred k. Um, was this always on the cards? Yeah, U- UTA. So what happened? The beginning of twenty twenty two, moving back to Australia, did some travels. I didn't race the first six months of the year. Uh, so I wanted to do some racing, wanted to do some trail racing, UTA getting pushed back to October. is just too tempting. I've always wanted to do UTA mm-hmm. over the last couple of years and I just, it was too tempting and I knew I was relatively fit. So I think I committed to UTA. I committed to UTA before I'm committed to Melbourne Marathon. So the original plan was Sydney Marathon, then UTA, and then Melbourne came into it last minute. So I probably was planning UTA, you know, uh, at least four, three, four months in advance. Yeah, okay. And, and and with that, were you doing some specific training for that particular race? Uh, I mean, it's in its original state, I guess, with four and a half thousand metres of vert and some technical stuff. No, no. I, I was just, I was just hoping that marathon fitness would get me through. The I did one weekend where I went, I, I went to Bright for one weekend, did some steep stuff, went out to the Dandenongs, and I did a couple of. 35 40 kilometer really steep um sessions i think i did one session they've got a they were closed all winter um from the rains they have a thousand steps out of the dandenong so did one session on them but i didn't do the sort of vert that i probably needed um Mm. so the course change uh suited me down to a t yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I mean, you, you would have been prepared to do it anyway, though, I'm assuming. You, you know, you signed up for this thing. Do you, do you find the hills comfortable in general? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I honestly, I struggle on hills. But the thing that UTA, the reason why I wasn't too stressed about it is all the elevation comes on stairs. Mm-hmm. And I just think stairs is different to actual mountain running or mm-hmm. hill running. I just think that it is very difficult to run stairs no matter who you are and mm. and it's very difficult. I don't know. It is just different to hill running and not many people have access to all those stairs. So 
I was looking at the ratio of elevation to flat and even in the four and a half thousand meter one, there's actually a lot of runnable terrain because the elevation comes so quickly because of stairs. So I was willing to go in there. My initial thoughts were, hey, I'm going to leak time on the stairs, but that's okay because I still thought there was enough runnable terrain in the original course. So in May when it rolls around again, the line up, I'll have that same thought process. I'll probably go in with a lot more trail experience and, and hill training in my legs but i think the ratio from runnable to hills is not too bad yeah there's plenty plenty of time to make up ground there and that's for sure that's yeah sure. Did, did you decide to go out and buy yourself a pair of trail shoes for this one i did i did i bought some trail shoes last minute went into my local running shop i think 10 days beforehand <laughs> yeah can i ask what you ended up with i bought the Sicconi edge uh Sicconi endorphin edge mm-hmm uh, purely because I feel like a, the, the closest I can get to feeling like a road shoe. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with – actually, I just have a hate relationship with trail shoes. Yes. I, I haven't found a trail shoe that I genuinely like. Okay. Yeah, right. which – yeah. So that's – yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, you obviously got away with with them just fine, so I wouldn't overthink it, mate. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. What about in terms of the other kit? Like, there's a fair bit of gear on your back for Farlow's Trail. Um, had you done much training with it, or was it the same sort of scenario? Ten days out. Yeah, I was sl- I was slowly buying this stuff for this because I came from having absolutely nothing, so I had to buy the pack. You know, I was having to buy the. I bought the fleece about ten days out. Thank God, because they ended- we ended up having to pack it. Yeah. So I'm I assuming you desperately needed that that fleece. Oh, it was so hot. So, <laughs> but but you know, and the rules are the rules. But and I was rubbing up against my back. I'm just like, oh, this is not ideal. No. Um, but yeah, like I, I did probably half packs. Actually, I probably went for a few runs where I had my bag half packed with what I was going to do. Mm. Um, but then I I actually run over a hundred kilometers a week with my work bag on. Yeah. So I actually do more Ks per week with a bag on than not with a bag on. So there you go, yeah. ready to roll. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, but the one one rookie error I saw uh, was, was no hat from the start line, Reese. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the sort of things you don't think of when you're getting into it. It's six a.m. It's quite dark. It's freezing cold. You just don't think. Oh, and as a road runner, I've never worn a hat, so oh. I've I've never raced in a hat. I didn't even put sunscreen on and. I got to the finish line, didn't even think of it. And that night, I remember just waking up in midnight. I was like, am I sweating or something? And I actually was already um, like weeping from not having a hat on. Yeah. So <laughs> huge, re- huge regret there. And I-, I peeled almost 24 hours later. My head was peeling. So, Wow, that's brutal. So it was a good burn. We'll have to uh, get the boys at Fractel on to you, mate. It could be the next ambassador, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've actually – I think, yeah, I need to uh, actually organise a hat for Cosi Osco, so, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, ch- I'll chat to him. <laughs> Get him <set> special <laughs> delivery. Kind of third-degree burns on the winner's head. That's, that's a poor Yeah, I'd be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and so similar in terms of your, your pacing there, you look to latch on to one of, one of the other guys and sort of go with him early? Yeah, so thinking of my lessons from Tarawira, my whole – got uh idea going into uta was just run with the leader or the leaders for as long as possible and if they're too good 
and they're too fast, then so bad. They're too good. They're too fast. But don't get caught out being up there solo, doing something silly and getting caught later on in the race. So we're running running into the first trail section about 11 kilometres in and I was running behind Tyler Andrews and he was running in road shoes and we hit this muddy section and the first stairs and he was doing it really tentatively and really slow. And Sam McCutcheon and Vlad Shatron, they they gapped us um, over this short period and when we came out of the Fairmont, uh, I couldn't even see Sam. Oh, you could see him way up the road. He may have even had a minute on us maybe. Might not have quite been that. And I was like, well, I'm 11, 12 Ks in and my game plan's already over. I can't see the leader. My whole idea was to run with the leader. So when we're heading back into the next single track bit, I just jumped in front of Tyler and I was like, okay, you've just got to get across to Sam as fast as possible. So from about 12 K, I was fortunate enough to bridge across to him pretty quick, a lot quicker than what I thought. Uh, maybe he stopped at the um, track. Uh, there was like a drink station at 18 kilometers. Mm. And I just decided to run straight through there. And maybe he stopped um, to pick up water there. I'm not sure, but I, I ended up getting across to him just before 20 kilometers. And then I ran with Sam until about 40 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And at that point you were comfortable with your pacing that you were ready to, to head off and jump in on your own? Yeah, I was just running behind Sam from 20 to 40 Ks on the fire trails. I was just running behind him every now and then. He'd like want to have a conversation with me. He's such a good guy, really nice guy. And I was just like, man, I just want to go into like my own like fairy zone here. I don't want to think. I just want to tune out and I'm just going to follow you. (laughs) Um, And then at the 40 kilometer mark, I just ran up next to him and I was just running, running the same pace and then I don't know if he deliberately eased off or what happened and I it just kind of naturally happened. I don't think my pace really changed and naturally I found myself in front and then it was like 45 Ks in and I looked back and, you know, I probably maybe had a 20-second gap or something. I was like, this is exactly where I was – this is exactly what I was trying not to do and I'm here I am. I'm doing – made the same mistake I made in Tarawira all over again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so. too much time in the fairy zone by the sound of things. There is. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. So, um, yeah. But but the difference from this one in Tarawera was I, I genuinely thought I was running within myself and was really comfortable, but mm. it yeah. turned fast. Yeah, right. And so you had um, Scotty Hawker coming in pretty hot towards the end there. Um, yeah, did, did you know how close you was getting? Yeah. So. I think at the 70, at the, is it Queen Mary Hospital? Queen Vic, uh, yeah. Queen, Queen Vic, yeah. Um, I worked at Queen Mary's in London. Um, the the hospital there, I think they said I had about a 12-minute lead and I was really starting to hurt. So I, I was happy to burn time through there. I didn't care that he was coming um, at that point. I was like 77 Ks in or something like that. Mm. And I was like, I'm more than happy for him to come across to me, but the longer it takes for him to get across to me, you know, the better, obviously. But I was in a pretty dark place and I knew he was coming across. I, I heard a 12-minute time, then an eight-minute time. I heard a six-minute time. And that's all I heard. People after the race, people were telling me that it may have got within three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I knew I was leaking time to him, but I was getting close enough to the finish line thinking, hey, like, 
I actually I didn't know the course well enough, so I actually thought the last eight kilometers was on a road. I didn't realize it was on all these stairs, mm. so I was a bit naive because I was happy to leak time, thinking, "Hey, as soon as I hit this road, I'm good here. Like, I'll back myself in." Mm-hmm. And then I was getting told that, "Hey, no, there is no road coming. You need to start moving on these stairs." So I did, I hit the I was panicking from the last eight kilometers when I found out, "Hey, there's no road coming on these stairs," and I was like oh, no, like he could be three minutes now or he could be any moment coming around the corner. And I I put in a little bit more in that last 8K along the stairs and, yeah, I was fortunate enough to hold off. Mm-hmm. Well done, but, mate. Well but, done. I th- but I think it made it, it – was, it was pretty obvious, but wasn't it, that my my experience and my pacing, like Scotty over 100 miles is going to go past me every day of the week at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting topic in terms of Scott's ability on a more technical, hilly course, but we'll never know. Well, we certainly won't know for a while at least. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 good to um, have some interest in the racing there. Uh, I, I suppose you found that aspect of it a little bit more interesting than just trying to hold three hour weights for 42Ks? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, turning up to a race and it's like, you know, actual racing, like you're part of a race. You're not just, you know, in 15th position running the same splits. Yeah, it was really entertaining. And I think my goal coming into trail running as well is I I think it can be an entertaining sport and I'm more than happy, you know, I'm going to have some really bad races. I know that. I've, I've, you know, I've run two and I've been fortunate enough to have these races. But I think my personality and my racing style, I'm going to have some – significant blow-ups i'm going to have some bad days but you know as i want to be as entertaining as possible that's part of it Mm. so the fact that scotty was you know breathing down my neck at least it got everyone talking and after the race everyone was like oh we thought you were done and everyone was and it, it was you know good to know that people end up invested in the race because you know of our our incredibly different running backgrounds but yeah it made it entertaining yeah, for sure. I love it. Like in terms of that sort of stuff, um, you know, there's there's a pretty similar kind of line from Jim Wormsley over in the states. He's he might be a two fifteen runner, so not not quite at your standard, but he's doing some incredible stuff at uh, you know Western states and and and, and the long stuff there. Um, do you see yourself sort of going up against those kind of guys? Well, I mean, Jim's two fifteen was at the Olympic trials on a hilly course in mm-hmm. summer. So his two fifteen is is well and truly quicker than than that. He he's a lot quicker than me over the roads. And I think over the trails, like Jim, they're a whole another level. Jim, you know, Hayden Hawks, you know, your Killian, your Francois, they're they're on a whole another level to what I am right now. Of course, the ultimate goal would be it'd be amazing to be competitive against them. And even someone like Tom Evans, you look how good Tom Evans is on the roads. He's a sixty three minute half guy, maybe even quicker. 13 something 5k guy and what Jim and that are doing to him at Western States like the time they're putting into him it it takes more than just being really fast on the roads and the trail stuff and I think that's why I'm just trying to go across you know I'm not super young you know I'm 30 I've just turned 32 so but I I think you know I need to invest some a few years in the trail stuff to before I can be at the level of those guys. I don't think it's as simple as, hey, I'm going to try and run 209, 210, and then I'm just going to convert a little bit older across to the trail stuff. I don't think it. I don't think it'll work. I think you know you you need Jim and that. Just I've never raced him, but 
the times he's done, they they seem absurd, honestly, on trail courses. I don't know how someone could grind along at that sort of pace at Western States. And I think he's done Tarawira in the past and things like that. So I know I'm a long way off him, but, you know, that's that's the ultimate goal is, you know, right. to be competitive it. against them. I love it. And, and obviously there are, you know, several skill sets that are different to marathon running that need to be learned and experienced and what have you. Um, what, what have you learned in terms of your two big trail runs? What are the, what are the big takeaways for you? So I think the big takeaways, and we were just talking actually offline about this, is my theory is is that I just need to run more ultras. It's I before UTA I ran a fifty k local race here in Victoria, and I got to about 40, 45 k's, and I started to feel not so good. And then I ran a seventy k, and I remember getting to fifty k's and being like, "Oh, I'm feeling pretty good." And then UTA just happened to be made to seventy k's, and then things went bad. So I just feel like I just need to experience more ultras, just get the experience and just the whole burning of energy and just getting your body accustomed to the hours on, on the legs and the time out there. I think it's just going to take time and just it's going to take pushing the limits, like having some bad races, seeing how fast I can go over a distance. Hmm. I may not, you know, I'll always try and finish, of course, or always will finish, but it's going to take some blow ups just to find where that, where that fine line is. But I just need to run more. Is my theory. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Like I've done a bunch of these 100K things and I'm sort of not in the same like pacing. I'm running sort of 12 hours, but it's amazing how quick 12 hours starts to become the more frequently you do it. Like it, that time just goes that much quicker these days because I, I know what's happening out there. So. Yeah, I think that's it. And just, you know, once your body's done 12 hours once, it's going to adapt to that stress and you should hypothetically be ready for it a little bit better the next time around. So, and I just don't think the UTA did give me pretty good doms and it beat up, beat my quads up relatively good, but I think you can actually manage. I think we can manage more ultras and things than what people think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see that theory may blow up in my face as well. Oh, mate, I'm looking forward to watching it from the <laughs> sidelines anyway. What, what, what do you say to the, I guess, the marathon purists that sort of turn their nose up at someone going from 213 marathon over to the trail stuff? I've heard it said a couple of times. It, it seems really strange to me um, to, to make the distinction. It's like telling Jen Gregson she shouldn't be doing steeplechase because she's a good 5K runner. It's just bizarre in my mind. What's What's your take? Yeah, and I mean, in my personal case, I kind of laugh because I I didn't start running like my first marathon was in two thousand eighteen. I didn't grow up wanting to be, you know, make the Olympics in athletics on the track or the marathon. Like I don't, yeah, of course I had heard of Deeks and heard of Mona, but I don't know the history of marathon running in Australia. Which mm. I don't, it, it doesn't have a lot of meaning to me in a way. So for me to walk across the trails is an easy decision. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm not connected to the sport, I never was as a junior, and I think if it, in, in not in my case in general, I, I honestly am now a believer. Olympic qualifi- qualifying, world champs qualifying for men is now two oh nine forty. If you're if you're running marathons because you want to make a team, then you need to be able to run two oh nine. And so if you're a two twelve two thirteen guy, like unless you you know, that's what you want to do. Like you're not really getting anything out of road running anymore. You, I turn up to a race and I'm guaranteed to run by myself because the front packs are too fast. 
you got people trying to break 220. Maybe you got people trying to break 215. But I'm in this weird zone where you're just going and running by yourself hmm. on the roads. So um, personally, I don't have any connection. I don't have any loyalty or like, you know, ambitions or anything for road running or athletics. I, it's not a sport that I've ever inspired to be around. So um, it was easy for me. I, I more come from that love the adventure, love the dark side. So it was easy for me to transition across. And I think more 212, 213 marathoners will, and I think eventually be 210 guys will transition across the trail running earlier because the opportunities are going to be so far superior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it seems to be the case. You know, it's 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 growing quicker and quicker and there, there, there are opportunities for blokes of, of your ability to, to be winning these races. So why on earth wouldn't you do that? Yeah, like you can literally have help going to these amazing places in the world mm. um, because you're comp- competitive on the trail scene or you could – not, you know pay your full entry or maybe you'll get a free entry into a one-off city marathon and that's it like you won't even get drinks offered to you or anything like that so mm-hmm. um yeah it's that awkward level but i i think you know more people should probably transition across i think hopefully the this whole roadies versus trail thing you know starts to peter out a little bit like you look at um cycling for instance the whole gravel cycling scene yeah. is exploding mm. you got these professional cyclists who are retiring from the sport younger because mm. they're sick of being robots and they're now having careers as gravel riders yeah and you know i think you know trail running maybe in five years ten years time it's just an you know it's not shunned upon by the track and road people who knows <laughs> we'll see we'll see i mean this the cycling thing is so interesting you got blokes like Tom Pidcock and Vanderpol, they're doing it all at the same time. So why the hell can't that be the same in, in running? I don't really understand that. But, yeah. And, yeah, that's exactly right. And, like, I haven't given up marathons. Like, <laughs> I'm still going to turn up to one or two marathons per year and I still want to run, you know, PB. So I'm not giving up on marathons. I'm just not giving away other opportunities for marathons. Yeah, love it. And, and so the next opportunity uh, in the not-too-distant future and another – two or three weeks away now, I think, uh, 100, 100 miler down in Kosciuszko. Uh, are, are, are we daunted by the distance, mate, or just another step? No, this is the first time generally where I'm a little bit scared of the distance. So I've never been scared of distance in my life, but I'm a little bit – I think UTA and Tarawira have made me a bit scared of this one. So um, I'm just there, want to learn, want to learn the distance, want to learn the experience. I just want to – do a hundred miler. It's relatively local. I get family support. Um, I don't want to save a hundred miler to an overseas race. So mm-hmm. it's all about getting some experience out there and and just seeing what it's all about. So yeah, yeah, it's a bit a bit nerve wracking, but we'll see. Oh, mate, I love it. Have Have you sought any specific nutritional advice for this one? It seems as the long, longer these things go, the more important that fueling becomes. No, I still, I still haven't. I've, the reason why I'm so lazy on that front is I've never been someone that's had stomach issues. Um, so I, I, f- I feel like I do a relatively good job of just putting down gels, putting down energy drinks and things like that. So it's something in the future that I need to address, that's for sure. Um, but for this, I just wanted to keep things simple and pretty much the same as what I did for UTA. So I'm just going to have a crack of just doing it on gels 
Okay. I'm sure you can manage that. Are you, are you aiming for a certain amount per hour, like calorie content per hour or something, or is it just a bit more by feel? Um, it's it's by feel. To be honest, I'll just probably every around every 30 minutes, I'll just probably put, put as much of one down as I want. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not, no, nothing scientific from my training. <laughs> well, you obviously don't need to at this point, mate. It's working well for you. Um, have you got designs about following Hayden Hawks out from the start line, mate? He, he may well be in the lead. Nah, no. Like, so, like, I think that if I follow Hayden, I think that's I'm asking for a bad day, a really bad day. Um. It'll be it'll, it'll depend. Like I'm not very good on the uphills, and there's a significant climbs early on, so I genuinely just might not be able to follow him anyway on the climbs. Hmm. But yeah, of course the temptation's there. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how I feel the morning of. Um, yeah, see how how I feel his pace is, and we'll see. Mate, it's going to be a ding dong battle. I'm looking forward to watching that one too. Um, now, now, do you have your your name in the lottery for Western States this week? No, no. So not in the lottery for Western States. Not sure if if I, yeah, I I'm not sure I, I, about Western States at this stage. Like, if I was going to go for an entry, I'd probably attempt to do it gold ticket way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but then that's obviously you got to get time off work. Got to probably head across to America and things like that. But mm-hmm. I just think there's something pretty special about going and chasing a golden ticket. So. Yep. If I was to go Western States, that it's, things have got to excite me for me to do it. And I, there's nothing wrong with going in the lottery, um, but I think winning my way to Western States would be a pretty cool way to yeah. do it. So, yeah. Bloody oath. I, I feel like that that's one with a profile that might suit Reese Edwards. Yeah, and it's definitely like something that it excites me and, and it's something where I would want to get. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just seems a complicated one with uh, one entry seems quite difficult to get, which is part of the excitement, making it difficult to get in. And then the other one is just timing. Like I went to Chamonix last summer, fell in love with Chamonix. I really want to do – I've qualified for CCC. Um, if if things went all right in Kosciuszko, there's the potential that UTMB could be on the cards. Mm-hmm. And then working a full-time job here, being restricted to annual leave, you know, doing Western States plus these French races, it's too much because they're at altitude and you need to get there pre, uh, prior to the race. So mm-hmm. it feels like it's kind of a one or the other. So mm-hmm. I think 2023 I might chase the UTMB style races and, yeah. yeah, maybe Western States in the future. Unreal, mate. Couple of couple of big dogs to tick off there. Um, have you have you had any uh, interest from some of the more trail based companies in terms of sponsorship and support since you win at UTA? Um, yeah, I had a, I had a couple of companies contact me just mainly for for gear and things like that. Um, I haven't taken up any any sponsored deals or anything like that. I so. Um, I'm just working full time. I'm I'm at this stage where I am. I'm I'm happy buying my own products. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if I can have some more results, then maybe there's um, better opportunities in the future. I do appreciate when these brands have contacted me and they've and I've been really thankful. And I haven't. I I really don't want to burn any bridges, which I don't think I have. They've kind of like, hey, if you 
ever do want to seek this, you know, let us know and mm. things like that. But I, at this stage, I'm happy buying the products that I genuinely like, mm. genuinely enjoy to use. And I, like as we said before, I haven't found a trail shoe, for instance, that I'm sold on yet. So I wouldn't want to commit to a brand yeah. and, and not be sold on, on the shoes. So, yeah. Yeah, mate, makes sense if you're shopping around at this point. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a listener question coming from Ian Richards. He wants to know, is it true that you once smashed a race record by so much that the organisers thought you cheated on the course? Um, oh, they didn't straight up think I cheated, but they're, they're a little bit kind of, yeah, the very long run, they'll come a little bit like, are you, like looking at me like, are you sure? Like this seems a bit outrageous and I've kind of, had to explain some of my previous results and like, oh no, all good, all good, and showed them my Garmin. <laughs> That's a fair problem to have, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> they're really, they're really, really lovely. Yeah, they're really nice, Bill. That's good. That's good. And I want you to put on your uh, your physio brain for the last question, mate. Would uh, would you ever prescribe two marathons and a hundred k ultra in the space of two months to one of your patients? Uh huh. No, <laughs> no, um, no, nah. no. Nah. I mean, it depends. If it's something they genuinely want to do, I wouldn't say no to it. Like mm-hmm. if they were genuinely excited about it, then I'd be like, absolutely. But nah, it's not something that I would prescribe. <laughs> Keeping in mind that you are a little bit different, race. Yeah, exactly right. I think it's, and I mean, that's one of the things like, something like coaching and things like that like you know you can't someone like me can't be coached with the things that i'm doing is like you know so left of field that you just you couldn't sit back as a coach could you and be like hey don't do this don't do that we're going to do a gradual progression um you can have a rest day here rest weekend i'd be looking at me going like you're kidding right (laughs) maybe they need to rewrite the manual because it's working perfectly at this point Uh, (laughs) And best of luck with the next few weeks and, and the miler down in Cozzy. Um, I'll be watching closely. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll smash it out of the park and, and hopefully get that ticket to UTMB for 2023. Um, thank you for giving up your time, Reese. It's been great to, to get to know you and uh, introduce you probably to the yeah the trail audience. I'm not sure you've, you've had much to say to them in the past. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to get you over to the dirt, mate. Yeah, no, perfect. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No worries, mate.